I'm glad you're here this morning. Those watching online, glad you're watching as well. We're going to start a series today uh, called Who's Your One? Look at your neighbor and say, Who's Your One? Who's Your One? It's an important, important question we all need to ask. Who is your one? We'll talk more about that a little bit. Are you ready to worship the Lord? Come on now. There's a song to say, I don't know what you came to do, but I come to praise the Lord. You know, you come in with an anticipation and expectation and say, God, I'm going to come and worship you. I'm going to take the, all the things on my mind. I'm going to take all the things that's happened during the week, and I'm just going to get my mind on you. Someone say, mind on you. And when you get your mind on the Lord, let the Spirit of God just do what the Spirit of God wants to do in you, through you, and around you. Amen? Let's go before Father. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for who you are, all that you do. Now, Father, as we just worship you in spirit and truth, you are God, you're the God of the possible. Your word tells us all things are possible. That means we grab hold of your word, your ways, so we may do your works, and we allow you to do all that you desire to do in us, through us, and around us. Now, Lord, we just offer up this praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. And our God, people, loud voice said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? Amen. Come on now, someone say, who's your one? Well, good morning. Give someone a high five. Come on, give them a high five. And say, I'm going to find my one. This is important to understand the importance. I love it, right across the aisle. Awesome. This is the reality that you and I need to understand that we're here, we're built for something greater, and we need to realize that. One day, a, uh, a young man was at the beach, and he saw this older man, and he was throwing in things in the water, just throwing them in. And as the little boy got a little closer, he realized they were starfish. There was literally hundreds of thousands of starfish lined up all along the shoreline, and the shoreline went for miles. So the boy said to him, what are you doing, mister? He says, I'm throwing in these starfishes. And he said, it's impossible. Look how many there are. You can't make a difference. He picked up a starfish, just one, threw it in the water. He said, I made a difference in that one. And that is the philosophy that we need to truly understand, that we need to recognize that we can make a difference in people when we just think of it's just one person at a time. I believe that you've heard me say this a few times. If you care, you, that's it, it's the bottom line. If you care, you share. And all God is looking for, all God is looking for is someone to be able to care. And if you care, you can share the gospel. You can share a warm, uh, a warm uh, hand or you can share a warm heart. You can make a difference in someone's life. Someone say amen. 
Are you with me? So we're going to take a journey to understand that so many times churches and people, they see the world, they see this going wrong and this going wrong, and they say, what can I do? We see the philosophical ideas that are taking place. We see, we see the different things that are taking place all around our world, and we say, how can I make a difference? You just have to think of one place, one person, one situation, just one of what you can make a difference in. Sometimes you just have to just bring it down before you can grow it up. You see, the problem is never too big. I said this before and I'll say it again. When David saw Goliath, he didn't see any problem. He saw God bigger than Goliath. And we need to have that same mentality to recognize that your God is bigger. Someone say, my God is bigger. No matter what situation, no matter what circumstance, and trust me, I know, I live this stuff and see what God can do over and over and over again because God is your big one that wants you to make a difference in another one. Who will be your one? Who will be the one that you will be intentional in helping, intentional about caring, intentional about giving understanding, intentional about giving invitation? Who will be that person? Who is that person? Maybe right now a person came to your mind. Yeah, you say, I love this guy. I love this girl. Uh, I love my, this family member. But they don't understand who Jesus Christ is. Not at all. They do not have no idea the, the, the importance of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is going to do. The best truly is yet to come. When you look at history, you see so many people who, one person, Martha Luther King, one person made a huge difference. Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one person, but stood up against Hitler. You look at Mother Teresa in Calcutta, one person, and yet she lived her life dedicating herself to the poor and to the needy. And I've been, we've been to India. We see how it was. Calcutta, Calcutta is really even, even sometimes worse than some of the, a lot of the other places in India. Let me tell you something. It's only one, but I want you to say God will do a great one. And you could be the one. Do you want to be the one? If God was looking out for one, would he see you? And would you say, God, I'll be the one. Will you be the one and say, Lord, send me? I'll be honest with you. I'm the one that sends me. God, it happened to me. I was in my trade. I was wanting to do well. I wanted to excel to the highest level I could in my trade. I was on my way to do so. I had the ambition. I had the goal plan. I had everything in my mind of what I thought I wanted my life to look at and when I planned on retiring and then just ease down the road. Come on now. Come on now. Oh, never mind. You see, that was the plan, but then God got a hold of my heart, and I, I willfully said, God, here I am. Never in my wildest dreams did I think he was going to do something like he did with me. Never. He parked me places I never thought I could go. He did things in me that I never thought could happen. And that's why, that's why it all takes place, because someone saw me as their one. And so I want you to know King David was just the one, but look what he did. Uh, look what King David did just because he was one person that was dedicated. One person can make the difference. And I pray that as we come to celebrate that you would invite your one 
to be with you, to learn what you're learning, to take a journey together with someone and just ask them, hey, listen, could you? I really would love to see you by my side. Let's learn together. You see, it's so important. You need to figure out who's the one that you love, who's the one that you care about, who's the one that, the, that they don't know about the Lord. Who is the one that may have an idea of who the Lord is, but they don't know the Lord? You know, can you think of someone? They have all, they may know more scriptures than you, but they don't know the Lord. There's a difference between knowing God's word and knowing the Lord himself. There's a difference between quoting people that you don't know, but then knowing the person. Who is that one person that maybe may know the Lord, but they're not serving the Lord? They're not using their giftings for the Lord. Who's that person in your life? I want you to really think about just one person. Just take a moment. Who is one person that you care about, but they do not understand the things of the Lord? I want you to stop praying for them. I want you to start finding out, do they have a need? Can you fill that need? I want you to start really letting them know you're praying for them. Build a relationship with them. Be authentic in your caring. Be real. But the problem is sometimes we put a facade on. We always want to keep a tough outside shell. Just be real. Because you, when you can be who you are no matter where you are, that's a good place to live. It's a good place to live. Strengthen your communications. Call them. Text them. Bring them, them some encouragement. Send them a card. Some of you can cook. Man, if you can cook, bring them a meal. Bring the extra over my house. But bring them a meal. If you cook desserts, bring them two. Just bring me half. Just, just a little one. Just, 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 just enough because I'm not greatly disciplined in my dessert area. I'm working on it. You work out harder so you can have a little bit more sugar. That's my mentality. Not necessarily it's, it's good. <laughs> the question is, and you've got to realize, why are we here? Why is the church here? Why are you here? What are we supposed to do? Is we, are we here to make money? And that's all we're here to do is make money? Are we here to have all the stuff? That was on my list. I had a lot of stuff on my list. Love boats and love bikes and love Show all that kind of outside activity. Love that kind of stuff. But the reality, why am I here? No, we're all here. We're all here for the audience of one. Someone said the audience of one. We're all here to, and the church is here for the main purpose, for the main purpose to make disciples. Make disciples. I ask you this one question. When I ask you, when I ask you, um, what's this one thing that pops in your mind when I say gold medal Olympi Olympian? Gold medal Olympian. What do you remember? What do you, what thing pops in your mind? When I say, uh, when I, what pops in your mind when I say Navy SEAL? When I say Navy SEAL. What, what, what pops in your mind when I say, when I say a soldier? What pops in your mind when I, I tell you a, a football fanatic? What pops in your mind? But, but what pops in your mind when I say Christian? You see, if you go on the street and you ask 10 people what a Christian is, you're going to get nine different answers. Because everybody has a different perspective about a Christian. Because there's Christians that are not good Christians. Now, I don't remember this Christian. There could be a couple over here that are really, really good. But there's some over here not really too good. But you think they focus on the good ones. No, they focus on the bad ones, right? And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We got to focus on Jesus. Some say focus on Jesus. We focus on God. We don't focus on people. Hello. Come on now. 
You see, I want you to get this. I want you to get this, that you might run into someone and say, you know, uh, what's a Christian? And, and, and some would say, well, it's a bunch of people who get together on Sunday. What's a Christian? Uh, the person that lives one way on Sunday, Sunday and lives another way during the week. What's a, what's a Christian? Uh, they may say, oh, he's a person who follows the, the principles of Jesus Christ and the word of Jesus Christ. Everybody has a different... You ask them if they're a Christian, that's a different story altogether because everybody says they're a Christian. There's some people who say they're a Christian. There are some people who say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like that fanatic that goes to church three times a week. Oh, boy, I don't need to do all that stuff to be a Christian. The reason why that person goes to church three times a week is because they just happen to be really in love with God and they want to get God. They're hungry for God. And when you're hungry about something, you are with they are at. If you've got a season ticket you got your favorite football team. you got season ticket. Do you miss games? Come on now. No. Why? Because you got a season ticket, and you only bought that season ticket because you want to see as many games as possible. What you love is what we do. Come on. Someone say amen. amen. I know I'm speaking to more people than just me. So the reality is that when you ask somebody, are you a Christian? And sometimes people will have this, Christians? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like, and here it goes, I'm not like those Christians who are judgmental, homophobic, moralists, who think that everybody's going to heaven ex uh, except them, but they're pretty happy about it. Uh, I, I don't want to be like a Christian who all of a sudden is, is all the, you got to do, got to do, got to do. I don't want to be like them. There are so many people, when you look at, Christian, the word Christian, and they have all type of different definitions. Let me tell you something, what we should say we are. We should say that we're disciples of Christ. It's only mentioned three times in, in the Bible, a Christian. You know, in Acts, in all the book of Acts, the Christian was known as a disciple, saints, believers, brothers, witnesses, followers, and a Nazarene, sect of the Nazarenes. The actual word Christian was given in a, in a very negative concept. It wasn't a good thing, Christian. When they started calling them Christians, because Christian really meant that you were a little God trying to be just like Jesus. Those little, little tiny you know, people who think they're Jesus. It was supposed to be an insult. However, in that culture, there was something from the Latin, but in the culture, they used to put I-N-I-A-N, so what they did was, if you were a follower of Christ, you'd be a, you were now a Christian. Um, those who were Roman soldiers, if their soldier name was such and such, they would put an I-N on it. So in, like for, a Rome, uh, for Caesar, they would be a Caesarean. And they would just add the I-N on it because the word itself meant party of. You were a party of. You're party of Christ, you're party of Christian. And so we have a lot of stuff going on with the Christian, but wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great to say, I'm a disciple of Christ, meaning I want to learn and follow my Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christian history doesn't have the greatest testimony during the Crusades, during different things, because a lot of stuff has gone down under the name of Christian. So I wanted to encourage you, instead of saying you're a Christian, maybe you just say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple. And a, a disciple is a learner. Someone, someone say amen. amen. Because are you learning about your Savior? Are you growing in your... How hungry are you to learn to be a disciple? Oh, I'm ready to go. So let's take a journey here. 
And let's look at this for a second. Because we have people who call themselves Christians, but they're not necessarily disciples. And that's where the difference is. Many people have a label, but they don't have the content. God sees your content, not your label. Just because you're a McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Just because you're in church doesn't make you part of the kingdom of God. Come on, say amen. amen. It is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Is it fluid? Is it real? Is he your best friend? Is he who he wants to be in your heart and life? Do you have the fire in your bones and the relationship to say, man, I love my God. I'm going to serve my God. I want to be like my God is just like how he responds. I want to be obedient to it. Yeah, I want to be a little Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool? What a great compliment that was, really. Hey, you see the little Jesuses? Yeah, look at them, look at them. Boy, if I could just reflect a little bit about Jesus, wouldn't that be good? I suppose you say amen on that. I'm so glad that uh, Javier is here. Surprised me. Have you thought, when you get to this portion of Scripture that I'm about to read, I want you to read it from the perspective of saying, why did the disciples just follow Jesus? Look at the portion of Scripture. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. Going from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Did you ever think about why they just upchucked and left everything? Someone say everything. I understand that. When God saved me, when God really did a work in me, I left everything. Left everything. Everything that I had, we either sold it or left it. And the things that I thought I was coming back to, never came back to it. It got donated to someplace, somewhere. And so in one moment, God revolutionized my whole life, and he said, go. And most of you know the story. I went to a place that I didn't even know where I was going. I had to ask my wife. God told me I have to go to Missouri. I didn't even know where Missouri was. When she took out the map that day and pointed her finger, and it was in the middle of the United States, I'm like, what? That just shows you how geographically challenged I was. I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. God had to do a lot, a lot, a lot of work on this boy because I cheated four years of my I cheated everything except my vocational part. My vocational part, I flew with high colors. But my academics, I cheated. And you know who's guilty of it? <laughs> See, she happened to go to another school. She went to a high school. I went to a, a vocational school. So I learned a trade. But when it came to my two years of academics, I asked her, what papers have you done? What books have you read? And so I just did what she did, and I passed it in, and I got better grades than she did. I always got the plus, A plus, or B plus. Well, you were pretty much an A student, but um, most people, you know, they were like, wow, Brian did this? Wow. 
And she just said, yeah, you got a higher grade because when you come up with that kind of stuff, they're just shocked. <laughs> Me, they had higher expectations, and that's so true. I never argued that statement. I thought that was true. But here is James and John. Here is Peter and Andrew. Jesus comes to them, and they just leave. Can anybody think about that? Why did they just, right there on the spot, they just left? I want you to get this. This is important. When you understand the background of what took place in the Jewish culture, you kind of kind of see what happens here. Because back then, all the Hebrew boys had to learn the Torah. They were in school at the age of five to learn the Torah. And what they did, and if you don't know, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what they would do from five, from starting at five years old. And what they did is they brought all the boys together at five years old. They would then, while they're reading the first few chapters of Genesis, they would take honey and they would put a drop of honey on each little boy's tongue. And when that honey was on their tongue, it was sweet, very sweet. Their honey comes right from the hive, right? So it would be very sweet. And they related the children and say, when you take the word of God and you put it in you, it will be sweetness to your life if it's in your mouth and in your life. It gives an illustration. It was just teaching them of all about the word of God that if you want sweetness in your life, get the word of God in it. So it was a beautiful objective lesson, object lesson. It was great. And then it got to a point when they got 10 years old, they kind of cut the kids that weren't doing too good in memorizations. It wasn't doing too good. And, and they would send the kid home at 10 years old to go maybe participate in the business or whatever the family was involved in. The rest of the kids, the 20% that was left over, would be trained to 17 years old. And then at 17 years old, there was another cut. And then if, you, then if you wanted to fulfill your scripture studies, you had to go to a rabbi. Now get this. You had to go to a rabbi, someone you liked, and sit at the rabbi's feet. And that was your application of saying to him, I want to be trained by you. The rabbi would then put this kid, seven-year-old kid, into all type of questions and everything like this to see how good. And then the rabbi would see if he was worthy to be trained. Get this now. You have to understand this. And so when the rabbi, he chose who would be his one he would train. He looked. He decided who would be the one. And though back then, back then, when you had a, uh, a disciple that called a Talmud, a Talmud, a Talmud would be the disciple, a rabbi would be the teacher. And it was up to the disciple to learn everything about the rabbi, whereby he had to learn not just what the scriptures was, but his personality and how he would answer questions. It was like the rabbi was trying to raise up another mini-me so when he's died, someone continues it on. That is the, the process of the mentoring that took place there in the Hebrew. However, the greatest compliment that you could have that someone could say to you would be this, the dust of your master is all over you, which meant that you are just like the rabbi. You are just like the one who has been mentoring you because you act like him, you respond like him, 
And the best compliment was the dust of your masters on you because when you had a mentor, mentee, they would walk very close to them. Elijah and Elisha, you could see that whole closeness, everything they did and stuff, and, and, and the dust that he would kick up would go on to the person next to you. And so that's what the meaning, the dust of your master is all over you, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. What a great compliment if someone was to say that about you, huh? The dust of Jesus is all over you. Think of that. That, that someone would see the qualities and characteristics of Jesus in your life. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Look at your neighbor and say, yes, I'd like to have that happen in my life. The dust of the rabbi is all over you. Luke 2, 41, we see Jesus having the authority. We see Jesus um, was teaching. We see that people would see that he spoke like no other man. Uh, We're seeing that uh, people saw that he healed. Look what John said. John said this. Matthew 3, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Andrew heard John speak things that he knew who he was. Again, John said this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. And the voice of the heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and I am well pleased. John said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John is communicating, and everybody's starting to see that Jesus is starting to have one right from 12 years old of authority of God. So now when this rabbi comes up to Andrew and Peter, when this rabbi who now comes up to James and John, he's now calling them out to follow. He's now picking them to follow because his reputation has already gone before. I want you to get this because this is important. God's looking for you to follow. God's looking for you to follow. Matthew 4, 8. I want you to look at this. Here, I will make you fishes of men. God wants to make you fishes of men. I don't know about you, but this is important. And at once, uh, they left their nets and followed. They left their nets. I make you fishes of men, uh, of men and they, they come and they follow. When you look a little bit down more, uh, in the boat with their father Zebedee preparing the net, Jesus called them and immediately they left. Why don't you get those things? We're going to focus here. How fast that they were willing to follow. If God asks you to do something, maybe even today God asks you to do something, how quick are you to follow? Obedience is one of the greatest things that blesses the heart of God. Someone say amen. amen. You want to make God happy? You want to make God happy? My parents wanted me to make them happy. They said this to me. Brian, could you do us a favor? <laughs> and I said, sure. What would you like? Could you just get a C? Just a C. I said, C for Corkum? <laughs> he said, no, I see you in your report card. Hey, we're not asking for an A. They should have. I would have. But, but just a C. That, that's what they were asking for. Jesus is not going to ask you for a C. Jesus is going to ask you for your best. Jesus said, I gave you my best I'm going to ask you to give your best because when you give your best, that's when, that's when you'll become everything you can be. Amen? 
Now, if you ever give anything just, just enough, that's how it's going to be. But when you give it your best, that means you take time, you think it through, you're intentional, and you're just not going to haphazard. I can't. I can't haphazard anything. I just can't. It's just not in my nature. Because when I was younger, I never wanted to do any sloppy work. When I had my own business, people said to me, Brian, I'm never letting anybody touch my house but you. That's what they tell me. Oh, I, had all the, I had plenty of work putting me through school. Too much, to tell you the truth. Because I always looked, whatever I did, I did it better, better than what I would do. Because I wanted my fingerprint to be on it. I wanted it to be good. I wanted to say, yeah. I would do moldings and something would be not good behind the molding. And someone would say, just cover it. No, I know it's there. We're going to fix it first. OCD, call it what you want. We're going to do it right job. Let's take everything we do like that. Let's do our best wherever it is. We start right where we are. Someone say amen. So he looks at these guys and says, come, follow me. And God's looking for ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Uh, you know, just give him what you have. That's all you have to do. I don't have much to give God. I really don't. I just give God what I have. That's all I do. I want you to do the same. You can be the best disciple you can. Just simply care for people just like God cared for you. Just allow God's love to flow through you. Someone say amen. 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 Let's look at this. What can we learn? We learn the Lord does, doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. I want you to get that. God is not out there trying to find the best out there. He's trying to look for the willing hearts. Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men, and they once, at once, at once, they left their nets and followed. They left everything behind to follow Jesus. This is powerful. God's always looking the heart. You know the story in 1 Samuel 16, right? When Samuel's about to anoint David, hmm? and then all of a sudden he anoints David, and, and, uh, and, but before David, there's Eli, and he said, oh, surely this guy looks like a king. He looks like it, huh? But God says, no, look what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Mm. He's not the right man for the job. He might be a right man for another job, but he's not the right man for this job. People say, God rejected him. That's really tough. No, no, you don't have to understand. He was not the right person for the job. When we go through applications and stuff, we find people who are very qualified in a lot of different areas. But we're looking for somebody to fill the particular need we have. And we have to, unfortunately, they have a rejection button, which I hate. But I'm so glad they have a little paragraph that we can kind of talk to them and stuff. And we say, yeah, you're just not the right person to fulfill this job. Great qualities and characteristics, da-da-da. But just, he was not the right one. God says, no, he's not the one I want. He's not the one I really need to do what I want to, want to get done. I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. God's always looking at the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. All we have to do is just get our hearts right with the Lord on a continuous basis. Commune with the Lord. I love this scripture. I lived on this scripture for many years. I still live on this scripture. What am I talking about? <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 126. Brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise in human standards. Not many of you were influ influ influential. 
Many were, of, were not of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Come on, can I hear a big amen? Mmm. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things in this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so, so that, so that no one may boast before him. God, people say, well, I don't have much. It's okay. God can give much. God can do a great work in you and through you. God wants to do a work in you. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you. Look at this. What we can learn, he chose ordinary men to be his disciples. Ordinary men. Ordinary. People say, well, I don't have much. No, God's just looking for your heart. Are you willing? Why do we complicate it? Why do we have to think we have to all be all this and all that? Why can't we just recognize, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Come before God just as you are. He's asking you to do a great work. He didn't call rabbis. He didn't, you, there's no religious leaders on his team in these 12. There's people, of, they're just fishermen and, but, but, you know, IRS agent. I mean, you have all these people here. But my question is, what are you going to do when he calls you to do a work? So I was thinking about that, and he's called us to be fishers of men. So what I'm going to try to do here is I'm going to put a lure on. Maybe we'll use this lure. This catches some, you know, maybe, maybe I can catch one of you with this. huh? Um, how about this one? This one's really good. I caught a lot of fish with this one here. There's a mighty, mighty fish catcher right there. Maybe I'll put that one on. Hold on. Maybe, maybe we'll put that one on. Oh, how about this one? Is it, would you bite this one here? Huh? It rattles and tracks them. They get mad at this. Oh. Yeah, here, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. Every lure attracts a different bait, a different fish. Every bait attracts a different fish. So let me tie one of these on. Let me tie this one here. I hope I don't hook anybody. No. If I do, will it be a healing? Don't worry about it. I'll make sure it don't come off. Yeah. Let me just see something here. Okay, okay, here we go. Whoa. Let's see. Sometimes you've got to just come in really slow. You just And God says, I want you to be fishers of men. And he wants... Didn't catch any with that cast. And that happens sometimes, you know what I mean? But God, you, you can't catch anything if you don't. <laughs> this is not my pole. This is what I this is my lender pole. And so, oh, 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 oh! I got something! I I got something. Oh man, God says, let's get some drag out. Oh, 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 yes, a biggie, my PB. Oh, what a biggie I got. You gonna hold me by the mouth now? Yeah, let's see if I can do this here. Let's take a picture. <laughs> yeah, thank you. 
Well, hold on. Here's the thing. I would have never caught my fish if I never put my lure in the water. You're never going to share and change lives if you don't take your vessel and put it where it needs to be, where it needs to grow. You see, every lure, you thought I was going to put on something like this. Did I scare anybody? I was trying to. <laughs> you see, the reality is, the only way you catch a fish is being in the water. The only way you're going to fish for men is you've got to be where the men are, where the people are. If you're not where they are, how are you going to make an influence? If, if I was salt, and I was very salty, and him being next to me, I would, his, my salt would rub off on him because of what's in me. Same thing happens. I can't believe, I think this is my PB right here, my best, my personal best that I ever caught. 230 pounds. 200, I don't think I've caught anything that big. That's a big fish. Thank you, Aaron. I'm looking to catch some stuff like that, but uh, it's down the line. Do you see, though, that God called, called us to ordinary individuals to go out and go fishing and care for people and help people understand what the whole thing's all about? Matter of fact, this box right here, this is Aaron's first tackle box that I ever got him. It still has his name on it with a fish that he, he did. And one day I said, you want these? He says, I don't want that junk. <laughs> I said, this is your first fishing box. I kept it for Elliot. <laughs> That's my Elliot box when we go fishing. Forget your dad. He don't want to know. No, no, no. So here's the deal. I want, you, I want you to get this. Ezekiel 22. I have this in front of my screen every single day. Look what it says. 22 of Ezekiel, verse 30. I looked for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. God was looking for someone to intervene, but he couldn't, even God couldn't find someone for a particular task. He found none. I want you to get this. I need you to get it in your heart. That God wants to take the ordinary, you and I, and make us disciples for his glory, for his praise. Can you give some praise in the house of the Lord that he chose you? <laughs> Blessed be me. Second Corinthians 5 says this. Listen to what it says. We are ambassadors. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the bottom line. We need to recognize God wants to do a work in you. But are you a disciple that wants to memorize God's word, know God's word? Are you a disciple? Are you really a person who really is intentional about growing in your relationship with God? Number three, there's a call to follow and leave it all. There's a call to follow and leave it all. Look what it says here in verse 20. At once they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Now this, is, this is really a powerful portion of scripture here because you need to realize something that the boat rec represents their occupation. That's what they were, fishermen. They were ready to follow. The, the boat represents their occupation. Their father represents their relationship. Once you get this, they were to the point ready to follow their rabbi and become, their, and become the Talmud, become that disciple. 
and they were willing to leave their occupation and they were willing to leave their father. John and James left their father in the boat. Could you imagine that moment? This is the real call to things. And I understand that because as soon as God saved me and put me through three years, I left my mom and dad with my children. And they were so mad at me. Why are you going halfway to the country and you're taking our grandchildren with you? They were not happy with me. And I had to try to explain to them that God had a call on my life that I had to, I had to answer. And God, was gonna, God is doing something to me and I have to go. And you have to understand something. I had no job. I had just the money of my show vehicle that I sold. And I was just going with, and I was going, as parents, just saying, what in the world are you doing? And I'm doing this. I'm following the will of God. And sometimes the will of God is not easy to follow the will of God. When he said to Abraham, Abraham, leave your father and leave your area and follow me. God did not give him an address. He wanted the obedience from Abraham just to walk. And I want to tell you, sometimes God doesn't always give us the instructions that we would like. We would like God to give us everything we need to do. God doesn't work that way. He wants obedience. He wants our hearts. He wants a willing heart. Someone say willing heart. And with a willing heart, God will raise you up to be a disciple. And God will do a work as you follow, swallow and follow. And then you get to see the goodness and greatness and see how God works it all out. And then when you stand over here and you start to see your life, you go, wow, now I understand, Lord. Now I understand. Sometimes understanding doesn't come right away. It takes, it takes a process. It's, 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 it's difficult. But that's exactly what the boat represents career and the father. It was the most significant relationship in their life. They were saying, Rabbi, we're ready to follow. Did Jesus tell them what he wanted from them? No. Did Jesus tell them where they're going? No. All he said, follow me. How many of you would do something like that? Think of it. It's a big deal. Big deal. When we finally packed up our stuff, we put all our stuff, we left all our stuff and packed it up into one moving vehicle. It's really humbling when you, when you just put all your stuff in a little tiny truck, a little car behind you, and you say, that's all I got. You know? It's like really humbling. Like, oh, life is really pretty simple. It's not that complicated after all. And we downsize and downsize and downsize. I want you to know something. God will do a work in you, but he wants you to be a disciple. Hello. He wants you to be a disciple. He wants the dust of your rabbi to be all over you. He wants you to be attentive to his ways. He wants you to learn what he wants you to learn. God is for you. Someone say, look at someone and say, God is for you. It's important. But then again, fourth thing, Jesus commands us to re re reproduce spiritually. He wants you to make fishes of men. When you die, you're going to meet God. And what you're, there's a lot of things that you put in heaven. One of the greatest things that we can do is share our faith. The Bible says, why is the man who wins souls? Winning souls and helping people to come to the full understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I want you to get it. He wants us to make fishes of men. 
That's what God wants you to do. Make fishes of men. Who is your one? Who is that one person that you're going to know and reach out to and be intentional with? You care about these people. These are the people you care about. If they were hurting, would you help them? Come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You'll sacrifice. You'll do whatever you because they're in a particular situation. You care for them. They would do the thing for you if you're in a situation. Well, let's not forget the spiritual. Let's not forget the spiritual. Because the spiritual makes people whole. You can bring a person together, but if they don't have the spiritual aspect, they only are together for a short period of time because eternity is a very long time. A lifespan is very, very short. It's just a vapor. We're here and we're gone. The grass rolls up, rises up, and it dies. Unfortunately, that's going to be happening soon. <laughs> God promises to be with you. God promises. In Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. I will be there for you. That's what God says. You either can say it's theory or that's true because God's word said it. And if God's word said it, that's it. Acts 1.8 says, Therefore you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the other parts of the earth. God didn't say you may be. He will be when you connect to the fire. The fire will be in you. Come on now. I want you to understand this. Matthew, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and earth have been given unto me. This is Jesus saying unto me. Therefore, therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is so powerful. And teach them to obey everything. Well, that means you have to do something. You have to live it out. Teaching them so they will obey everything. I've commanded you. And surely, here I love this part. I am with you forever. I am with you. God says he's with you. If he's with you, why do we fear? Fear rejection? Come on. Let me tell you something. I want you to really get serious about impacting people, impacting your family, seeing what God can do. It's so important that you and I get this. I don't know. For those online, I don't know if you first made the first step of accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. I pray each one of you have made a real in-depth decision to make Jesus your personal Savior. When you make Jesus your Savior, you realize you've sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. This is the beautiful part. And if you have never accepted Jesus as Savior, it's so simple. You want your best friend, you want the God of all eternity to come and lift you up and forgive you and to help you and to give you new life. It comes by just saying, God, forgive me. I've sinned. Let's just say that together. God, forgive me. I have sinned. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I yield myself to you. I want to be your disciple. I want to do your ways. This day is a new day for the rest of my life. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name. What a prayer. What a difference it can make in a life. Can you stand to your feet? I want to pray. And, and as we pray, I want to do something afterwards. I want to ask God just to help us to be 
the best disciple we can possibly be. Not just to have the cognitive information in our mind. A lot of stuff, we have a lot of information. God's not concerned about how much information you have. He's concerned on what you're doing with it. Amen? How you apply it. How do you live it? Let's ask God for some help. Father, we thank you so much for today. Will you help us? Will you truly, by your power of your Holy Spirit, right now, we come before you and we ask you to help us to help others. Help us to be the best disciple. Help us, Lord, to truly have the dust of our master, Lord Jesus, all over us. Help others to see the Jesus in us no matter what we say or where we go. And God, I pray right now, may you touch each one here, those online, and may their hearts draw ever so close to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Give God some praise. Can you do so? Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in his church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.